You're listening to the Premier Podcast Network. Foundation Radio is brought to you by The Dugout. The Dugout provides custom quality apparel at an affordable price. Modern style mixed with classic designs, you'll find retro t-shirts brought into the 21st century. Adam has several of his favorite t-shirts in rotation from the team at The Dugout, including customized Dudley Boys, Prince and the Revolution, and the Notorious B.I.G. t-shirts. Right now, if you purchase your items through their Etsy site and use promo code FOUNDATION, you'll receive 15% off your entire order. That's right, 15% off your entire order. Follow them on Instagram at the dugout brand follow the link on their etsy shop and use your promo code foundation for 15 percent off your entire order the dugout custom quality apparel at an affordable price Foundation Radio is brought to you by 10th Ward Barbershop. Serving the historic 10th Ward in downtown Lawrenceville, 10th Ward Barbershop is a full-service barbershop offering quality haircuts, beard trims, and hot shaves. Adam gets his hair and beard trimmed by the owner of the shop, Ryan Kane, and he loves the laser point precision cuts and lineup he provides to him and countless other satisfied customers. But you don't have to take Adam's word for it. WWE superstars Corey Graves and the fiend Bray Wyatt frequent 10th Ward for all their hair and beard trimming needs. Right now, all cuts and trims are by appointment only so head over to their website at 10thwardbarbershop.com and book your appointment now with kane jordan and the rest of the team at 10th ward barbershop that's 10thward barbershop.com and we thank them for supporting the podcast Forbes and Pro Wrestling Bits. Welcome to Foundation Radio, sir. How are you? Good. Thank you for having me on. It's great to be here, man. I appreciate you coming on. Is that a uh, that is a Bel Air jersey, correct? Yes, it is. That is a fantastic. Carlton Banks Bel Air Academy jersey. Not enough people represent the King Carlton Banks, so, so I'm doing it too. I was compared to him at points in my childhood, and uh, <laughs> and I didn't appreciate it at the time, but I do now, and I fully embrace it. Uh, one of the best television characters of all time, Carlton Brakes. I, uh, I I cannot agree with you more. Again, being from Philadelphia, so you have to represent, you know, your Philly team, but also, you know, Carlton being one of the greatest. I think very, very underappreciated on television. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. I, uh, I am very excited to sort of pick your brain. Um, I saw a really amazing video that you did for Pro Wrestling Bits about the WWE becoming blacker. And I really wanted to pull this apart with you because I think there's a lot of really interesting things that you say in those five minutes that are just, I mean, we could do three hours on, on this, six hours if we could. Uh, but really, I guess the best place for me to start <laughs> talking to you is where did your love of pro wrestling start? Uh, it's a great question. Uh, I, I've watched my entire life uh, since I could remember. The, one of the first things I ever remember seeing on television was The Ultimate Warrior. You know, I was just kind of sitting as a child. I, I don't really have a recollection of it, but I guess this is what my dad tells in terms of he's changing the channels. And then as I'm crying, I only stopped crying when he had The Ultimate Warrior on screen. He moved on from that and I started up again. So he just goes back there and the rest is history. So I was always a big fan of the big muscly face painted guys, the Stings, Ultimate Warrior, uh, Road Warriors, Demolition. I was into that a lot when I was a kid. And then I just kind of grew into pro wrestling. And even like the pivotal time when you find out that it's not real. And maybe in my preteens, I started kind of getting a little uh, casual on it. Uh, but I started finding out how it works backstage. Like I would have friends at school who would tell me, oh, you know, Shawn Michaels is going to win the title or, or they would say things that it's going to happen and they would happen. And I became fascinated on that end of it to where I, you know, I had a whole new appreciation of pro wrestling because I then learned that, oh, so there's this whole plan for things to happen. And for some people that ruins wrestling for them. For me, that just made me love it more. So there's never been a point of time in my life where I was not watching wrestling or I did not like it. And I've just always gravitated toward every aspect of the business. It's incredible. I love uh, I love that you've been able to transition that into into, you know, a full time gig. And I know that you're a comedian on top of that, but you also work for Forbes magazine. And, and uh, I, I read your articles uh, as, every time they come out. I really I really enjoy your stuff. But one of the things that really struck me recently 
was a video that you put out with Pro Wrestling Bits. Um, again, the WWE uh, getting blacker. Uh, tell me a little bit more. Like, what was the start of that for you when that when the idea for that sort of to start to gel? Was it the announcement about Rolling Loud? Was it the cipher? Tell me a little bit more about how that process started for you and how the creation of that came about. Yeah, I think what triggered the video is uh, the Rolling Loud would definitely be the icing on top. Uh, but once Rolling Loud was announced, it was kind of a culmination of a lot of things uh, of WWE for, for months, really. And you could even date back earlier than that, that um, over the past year or so, WWE has really had a concerted effort to not only promoting Black WWE superstars, but also uh, making inroads in areas of Black culture. And between the cipher, which is a very inventive, very bold thing to do, Instead of, you know, having a, there's a way that could have come off as, oh yeah, a white guy definitely wrote this, but the fact that they said Cypher, like that is of the culture. Cypher is something that really only hip hop fans know. And I know, you know, just watching the wrestling media coverage of that Cypher, everybody, oh, it's a concert, this concert that they had. And it's like, no, that's not how it was branded. And that was very impressive to me. It really stood out. So between that, between Rolling Loud, but a Forbes piece, that the title of that piece was WrestleMania 7 was the blackest WrestleMania of all time. And it was, if you look at the first time two black men fought for the Intercontinental title, uh, you know, Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks, uh, Michael Cole said two black women main eventing WrestleMania, which made it okay for a lot of the white media to be comfortable enough to say that but black history like that has been happening for a little bit and just as i criticized wwe for times where i felt that they were not doing right by their black talent and they had all these talented black superstars and potential storylines that they just weren't really exploiting i will be the first person to compliment wwe where i feel like they have started to really tap into that culture which is very important of course you know as a black man i'm going to have a bias toward uh you know, black wrestlers and black culture being covered on tv but just objectively, this is what needs to happen if WWE wants its audience to get younger. This is one of many ways that they can uh, appeal to a younger, hipper audience and, and have you know, the old audience that they have right now be supported with the young audience coming behind it. Because that's one of the number one things that they need right now. I think one of the biggest driving points that, that, that you brought up in the video was about the idea that wrestling isn't cool. You know, it's just not as mainstream as it used to be. It's not as cool. So the idea of being at a Rolling Loud or using something in hip hop, I'm a hip hop head too. So like the idea of hearing the, the cypher, I'm I, I'm immediately thinking the BET cypher with, with DJ Premier. I'm thinking Busta Rhymes, 2 Chains, Ludacris. You know, I'm thinking about those most deaf and, and black thought, all those classic cyphers that I can think of in my head. That's the first thing that pops into my mind. I'm like, all right, this is pretty rad, you know. But as far as, uh, you know, rolling loud and, and things of that nature, what was your reaction or your response when you're watching the Bianca Belair match at Rolling Loud uh, with the crowd response? Because I know there was a lot of criticism that uh, the crowd wasn't as hot for for the wrestling, you know, uh, the, the wrestlers that were selected to go. What was your response as, as you were watching it? It's exactly what I expected. And in, in the video, I specifically referenced this scenario going down. I said, if and possibly when, you know, the reaction isn't there, this should not be something where it should discourage WWE. You've got to crawl before you walk. I thought it was produced fantastically. There's different ways that they could have done it. And WWE really probably should have known better in terms of they've had NXT at festivals but instead of putting it in the middle of this festival out of context uh, they had like a tent with actual fans who purchased tickets to see nxt so it was part of the festival and it could bring in a crowd once you see this product being super hot and received by a crowd uh, instead and this came on pretty late in the process so all the tickets to rolling loud were already sold to hip-hop fans so i knew that this is exactly what would happen if you brought out you know Kevin Hart or some of the best stand-up comedians of all time to go out and do stand-up in front of that crowd, as hot as they are in their realm, it wouldn't have connected. These fans would have been like, where's Rick Ross? You know, where's Lil Baby? So yes, that's what's going to happen. That's exactly what I expected. But I mean, they had a, a good match and it's good that they're rubbing elbows in the hip-hop community. This should not discourage and it will not discourage WWE from this. Um, I, I think that, uh, you know, even having Wale out there was a good idea, but what they did with Bad Bunny was a really good way of integrating hip-hop and pro wrestling and that you bring this super hot rapper into WrestleMania, you have them trained, you have them wrestle a match, it becomes mainstream, it gets a lot of press, uh, things like that um, can also be effective. And if WWE were to do a Rolling Loud or do a hip hop concert in the future, um, I think the lesson learned is maybe you do a smaller venue with people who pay to see WWE so that, you know, it's this hot thing that's happening among all these fans that people in hip hop 
walking by, you know, if I'm walking by a tent and I see all people going crazy for something, I'm going to go into that tent, even if I did go to a music festival. Let's see what's going on over here. Uh, so either way, that's going to definitely attract people and pique interest in terms of WWE and the product. But I think it was a good idea. Um, there's obvious ways that they can uh, correct in the future. But, uh, I, you know, this is exactly what I expected. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, I think the 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 new litmus test or maybe like the benchmark for celebrities, not even just musicians, but celebrities working with inside of any kind of pro wrestling, whether it's WWE or AEW is Bad Bunny. I mean, because I, I can think about a hundred different uh, scenarios, right? With maybe the exception of Mike Tyson, because I feel like that was sort of like lightning in a bottle or maybe even Dennis Rodman, right? You take those two out of the equation, more like modern day things. Bad Bunny set the new precedent and tone for people being involved in this. And I agree. I think there's a certain element where you have to, uh, like you said, crawl before you walk. So I, I don't necessarily think that this is going to be the end of those types of endeavors. Uh, the one criticism that I heard a lot online and obviously the IWC, I try to ignore it as much as possible because it's just super toxic. And, you know, we'll talk about that in a second. But I, the one thing was like, oh, well, why didn't they bring John Cena? Why didn't they bring Roman Reigns? Why didn't they put the Usos in there? Did you think that the selection of Bianca Belair or the Street Profits or even Carmella in the match, do you think that those uh, choices were appropriate for the crowd that they were trying to attract based upon your thoughts on bringing a younger, more modern audience in? Or do you think they should have gone with somebody like a Roman, like an established, quote unquote, established wrestler like a Roman Reigns or an Edge or even the Usos to, to be a part of that? Someone who has a little bit more mainstream view at this point. And I use that term very loosely. Sure. And I don't think it matters. I don't think I think regardless of who they brought up, maybe John Cena is the one named because he's like a legitimate A-list star who could have come in. But even John Cena wrestling probably would have gotten the same type of reaction. Um, I don't think that it is so much of the people they brought in, because I do think they brought in the right talent in terms of the Street Profit, Bianca Belair, what they do, how they could potentially connect with them. But, you know, wrestling is at its kind of this lowest point in terms of uh the people who watch it compared to its peak at the Attitude Era, where there was tens of millions. Now, you know, we're seeing record low ratings and whatnot. So to bring in current wrestlers is going to put you behind the eight ball, but pop stars or Drew McIntyre or even a Bobby Lashley would have gotten a reaction out of that crowd. I think this was an uh, instance of a hip-hop crowd waiting for hip-hop, seeing wrestling, which uh, they, a lot of them don't watch right now, and that being a thing. If you really wanted to connect wrestling, especially in the situation they were in, with uh, the fact that they have this wrestling show, but the tickets have already been sold to hip hop crowd. I think it might have been a better idea to integrate some of these wrestlers into a performance uh, that a hip hop person is doing or integrate one of these rappers into a match, you know, and the train a rapper or a couple of rappers to wrestle in a match. So, you know, you get the hot tag to a little baby, you get the hot tag to the baby. So, you know, the baby and some and Bianca Belair versus little baby and Sasha Banks, something like that would have been ideal. So then not only do you get that connection with the crowd who pay to see these people, you also get the rub with these wrestlers. And, and now there's an instant connection, but it's just kind of cold say, okay, we're gonna put wrestling out here for you all um, hip hop fans. Uh, that was always gonna kind of get this reaction, but um, but you know I, that, that's not to discourage WWE from doing it in the future. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I don't know how I would have felt about Baby and Little Baby going at it. Maybe like Post Malone getting his face kicked in. I don't know. Maybe that would have been pretty rad. I, I think a lot of people would have paid a whole lot of money to see that. But I don't know. Well, I digress, sir. I digress. Uh, so let's I, one of the things and again, sort of tying into this idea of bringing the more modern, fresh crowd in is, is something that you touched about in the video was um, that incident that happened on AEW a couple weeks ago with Lance Archer and the, the I, his name escapes me right now. But the, Lambert. What was his name? Uh, Dan Lambert. Dan Lambert. Thank you very much. Uh, the uh, the idea of this Jim Cornette character uh, being, you know, the 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 eye in the sky kind of thing or whatever it was, his, you know, his his take on on AEW. Uh, do you think that wrestling in general listens too much to the folks online and listens too much and caters too much to the IWC? And we'll tie it in later on because I do want to sort of pull apart the, the punk and, and Daniel Bryan news. Uh, but do you think that that is what's causing a larger rift between people like us in our age range and the actual fans that they're sort of catering to? And even some of the folks in the IWC online. I do. I do think it's one of many problems in wrestling as particularly among 
WWE in terms of catering to the internet wrestling culture too much and uh, WWE kind of does have a rocky relationship with those fans but I think where they kind of went wrong is you know during that Daniel Bryan yes movement uh, run uh, I mean I thought that was great in terms of how it ended up just because it was a combination of real and them legitimately not wanting him to be in the WrestleMania main event and that kind of backfiring against them uh, but it was a great story told but I think they leaned into that too much and then they decided everybody has to be Daniel Bryan we got to create more Daniel Bryans and the thing that made Daniel Bryan special is he's an underdog in the land of the giants. Uh, I think they wanted more and more Daniel Bryan and there were more prototypes and um, they kind of lean into that prototype more. And you see NXT, you see guys like Adam Cole, Kyle O'Reilly, Pete Dunne, you know, uh, they all are very talented wrestlers. Don't get me wrong. And guys who I do like seeing wrestle, but if everybody looks like that, then wrestling stops being this over the top unique thing. You know, it just becomes this kind of athletic contest where the storylines take a back seat and it's all about good wrestling and the stars and, and five stars and all that stuff. And, and that crap isn't going to get people to connect to professional wrestling on a mainstream level. It is going to be about the stories. But I will say uh, with, with AEW, I think they do a good job of even though they do kind of cater to that crowd and I do think they need to be careful in letting that crowd dictate where they go. Uh, they do do a good job fostering the storylines and making sensible storylines with television characters that people I think can follow on a week-to-week -week basis and that's why relatively speaking their ratings are good but again that's only one million people there's only so much of an audience that's going to support um this kind of cult niche internet wrestling type wrestling you really do need to start leaning into people who have that transcendent movie star quality that can transcend past these high school gyms and the people who attend these indie wrestling shows well again it's it you could even look at the nick gage sort of comparison, right? You know, that they, they in, uh, in e, uh, AEW right now, they're doing the uh, the labors of Jericho, right? So the first labor was, uh, who the fuck was it the other day? Um, God damn it, I can't even, I can't even recall. Uh, oh, they had Sean Spears. Sean, Sean Spears. Spears, thank you very much. And then all of a sudden, Nick Gage shows up. And I mean, yeah, for like the guys who are in the know like us, it's like, oh, rad, this might be cool. This might have s something new to it. But to me, where is the appeal overall? If you're trying to produce a product that's going to be an alternative to WWE, Nick Gage doesn't really move the needle for me. Doesn't really move the needle for the general maybe lapsed fan or the idea of bringing some new people in to see. This is a very specific, like even more so than ECW. This is a very specific like GCW tiny niche market. It's not going to move the need. It's not going to bring the people in that you think it will. It's not going to be like bringing John Cena back. It's not going to be like watching Becky Lynch come in. Uh, it's not even going to be like Sting coming into the to the organization. It's going to be a very small needle move. And I think maybe that's the issue I have with the Daniel Bryan CM Punk talk is like, okay, everybody wants to compare it to the, the outsiders. And let's first of all, everybody needs to take a deep, big, deep fucking breath about that because – I don't care what anybody says. There absolutely will never be another time in professional wrestling where anything like the Outsiders could be uh, recreated. It's just it. It is impossible in 2021 to do something like what they did in 1995 and 1996. It just is that the, the the kayfabe is gone. Uh, the idea lore of it is gone. Everybody's got a Twitter. Everybody's got social media. Additionally, I don't see how the Daniel Bryan and CM Punk coming in could be built like the Outsiders. But but I'll uh, you know I'll leave that to you to sort of give me your analysis. What are your thoughts about AEW? You know, as the quote unquote paradigm shift with someone like CM Punk or someone like Daniel Bryan coming in. Do you think that that is going to change as much as the IWC lets us believe, or do you think it's going to be more of a Nick Gage showing up on TV and being like you know that that morbid curiosity and then like all right, well you know Jeopardy's on. Yeah, I do think it's a, a, an entirely different level than Nick Gage, which I think Nick Gage, to, to his credit, will inspire some curiosity within people. He did get a pretty good reaction. But yeah, it's niche deathmatch style, and I'm very interested to see what that will mean for an audience. Uh, they are putting him with Chris Gerald. Chris Gerald will help solidify that in terms of interest. But you do bring up a good point in terms of Nick Gage being from a very niche market. I think AEW might be leaning into balance and guts a little too much because that is something that has been proven to turn off women. Uh, but I'm very interested to see how Nick Gage will translate uh, because, you know, I do like Nick Gage and I like that, you know, that style of wrestling can be hard to watch sometimes, but I do like that there is a niche market for it that seems to be thriving, uh, that seems to kind of push wrestling to be edgy because that's what ECW's effect was on WWE is that WWE, uh, before the Attitude Era, when they, you know, with a new generation and everybody had to be a character, when they really started getting more edgy, it was because ECW was influenced by 
Paul Heyman and the violence that he was doing and, and you know, the sex sells and all that kind of stuff. So maybe AEW is trying to create that same dynamic there. With uh, Daniel Bryan and CM Punk, I, I actually do think that just because they were such big stars in WWE, uh, just because they were such household names in wrestling and because they were part of an era where if you look at the wrestling audience now, I mean, it's not like they're at their peak when Daniel Bryan and CM Punk were on top, but there were millions more people watching wrestling and there are a lot of hardcore fans kind of lapsed since then and stopped watching wrestling since Daniel Bryan or more um, accurately CM Punk left in 2014. Uh, so maybe those people will be more curious in terms of, okay, CM Punk's coming back. Let's see what happens here. Uh, let's see what Daniel Bryan does. Uh, and because they have all this buzz, I think that's what's important is AEW is creating buzz around this product where, you know, you go around and you see these dirt sheets and stuff like that. Yes, it's creating a lot of comments and whatnot. It's just how will this transcend? And I think if done correctly, uh, you know, they're doing this big sold out show in New York that sold tens of thousands of tickets and is anticipated to sell out in Flushing Meadows. So they're going to get a nice big crowd. And that moment of Daniel Bryan coming in is going to make him look like a superstar. The stature of a Daniel Bryan, who I'm bringing a word on the street is he's going to be at that Flushing Meadows Grand Slam show. I think that's really going to help AEW, but it's what do they do with that? Do they use Daniel Bryan to help get their younger guys over like I think they should? Or are they going to have him kind of be on top, which I don't think AEW is going to make Daniel Bryan or CM Punk the focal point of that company, because if they did that, that would be the mistake. Absolutely. And I think I think in some respects that may have been the sort of initial flaw that they did when they first started the promotion is putting the belt right on Chris Jericho. You know, I get the idea of uh, of establishing your brand and, and making it a, a brand new system and needing the name appeal. But I don't necessarily know if that was the right choice. I feel like if you're trying to build the alternative to WWE, maybe putting the belt on Kenny Omega right away would have been the right choice. Again, I've never worked in the industry. I have no, absolutely no booking experience. But for me, as the person who's watching this, I'm thinking, eh, maybe, maybe not. Maybe time to establish somebody else and make them the star. But I agree. I don't think there's any reason in 2021 to make CM Punk or Daniel Bryan the face of the, of the company, the person to be... Uh, take it to the next level. I am curious to see what happens, though. I'm not totally sold that Punk's going to go to AEW. I mean, I know we've heard a ton of things about Punk recently. Um, he followed AEW and Tony Khan and Vince McMahon and WWE on Twitter. So he's clearly trolling everybody right now. I, I just don't believe, I and anything with CM Punk, it's for me, it's like, I'll believe it when I see it. I have a more believable opportunity to think that he'll, that Daniel Bryan will be in, in AEW than I do uh, CM Punk. Uh, but one thing I, I do hear a lot on the internet wrestling community um, is uh, some criticisms about AEW not promoting black talent as much as they as they claim that they are. They want to be the diverse company. They want to be the diversity. The again, the ultra quote unquote alternative to WWE, and they're making a lot of big claims, but they don't seem to be backing it up on a daily basis. Most of the black wrestlers that are on the program typically lose. I don't recall the last time I've seen a black wrestler inside of a main event. And everybody wants to scream about WWE sort of being this, you know, fossil company, old school thing. But in reality, they have a, a black heavyweight champion. Almost all of their heavyweight champions, almost all of their top tier champions are people of color, you know, Samoan or black or whatever. Uh, to uh, When you're watching this and, and someone who writes about race and, 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 and pro wrestling pretty frequently, what is your take on, on this uh, situation with AEW uh, or the potential situation that could be coming for AEW in this regard? And how do they fix that? How do they correct those things? My take is that WWE, quite frankly, is kicking AEW's ass when it comes to diversity. It's not even close. It is, you know, AEW started off as the progressive company. Look, we've got a black woman as an executive. Look at us. Have you heard? I mean, I guess she went off and she, she had children and beautiful children. Thing. Uh, but really, the more AEW went on, the less I saw from Brandi Rhodes. And, you know, I don't want to assume what her influence is in that company at the time or whatnot. But in terms of this company putting its best foot forward as this diverse company, I just don't see it, man. And two things can be true because I do enjoy the AEW product, but that is a sticking point with me. It's AEW is aggressively white aggressively white wrestling uh in that and you know it seems to be working for them you know their champions are white their announcers are white everybody's white in AEW. uh and you know and it's not even just like uh, i've had this conversation to start to kind of grumble about this and kind of bring this putting on television oh i saw will hobbs on tv look look he's on tv look another black guy look 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 like they're playing where's waldo or something like that that's not the conversation i'm having 
What I like about WWE is they're integrating black culture into professional wrestling and uh, creating fully fleshed out black characters, just as you mentioned, whether it's a Bobby Lashley, who's just a big dominant guy. It's not like he's a rapper or anything like he's a big dominant champion who kicks people's asses. He's a shooter. Bianca Belair, who integrates black culture in her gear and, and is just a great, supremely athletic wrestler. And the list goes on and on and on. AEW doesn't have that. Superior. They don't put a lot. You don't see a lot of black people there. I don't see a lot of black people in their stands. I don't see a lot of, you know, Max Caster is incredible, but I want to see more of him. I think he's one of the top talents they have and they kind of shuffle him to the background. So AEW has a lot of work to do in terms of integrating diversity in their product because for a woke progressive company, they're just not that right now at all. Yeah, and I think it's important to note that too. I think, and that's kind of why I have these conversations is because it's really important to say these things. And again, WWE's hands are not clean in any way, shape, or form. I know the big controversy was when the Peacock shuffle happened and they're taking off this content and, oh, I can't believe they're they're deleting DX and Blackface or they're deleting Goldust and Blackface. And it's like, guys, are we really having this conversation right now? Like, do I really need to explain to you right now that blackface isn't the right thing to do. I mean, even Sean Waltman will tell you that he was like really not feeling that, that, that conversation and doing that gig. Like obviously he knew back then in the nineties that it was wrong. And now like, I don't know. I just had a, I had a very big issue with that when people, you know, the, the, uh, the performative outrage that came from them pulling those skits. And it's like, so out of, you know, uh, thousands of hours of footage that you can go from any fucking promotion in the world that, that Vince McMahon has his hands on. These are the things you're going to latch onto and make a thing. Okay, fine, whatever. Okay, fine. However, Vince McMahon and the company now seem to, like you said, be integrating not just like black wrestlers as top tier talent, but also black culture, right? Like they're doing it exceptionally better than anybody else. And, and, and again, like you said, we're uh, as a wrestling fan, you sort of have to take in these ideas of seeing the stereotypes. It, it um, it's an unfortunate part of, yeah. of the industry, you know, black people are rappers when they come in or Samoans are head shrinkers and islands or whatever the, the or Mr. Fuji or any of these prevailing sort of stereotype stereotypes stereotypical characters now Bobby Lashley is just an ass kicking machine I say this I must have said this probably a hundred times on the show already Bobby Lashley and I don't think like I don't think people like the Miz get as much credit for that whole storyline that arc right from Drew McIntyre losing the belt to the Miz like watching that I'm thinking I'm reflecting back on watching the Miz lose to Bobby Lashley and I am genuinely uncomfortable when I watch that match like I am genuinely uncomfortable watching Bobby Lashley beat the shit out of the Miz because that's what he did. And then he goes and does it to, uh, you know, Kofi Kingston a hundred thousand times and Xavier Woods and anybody else who crosses his path. And now probably Goldberg as well. Uh, it's just, there is something just so incredible about the man, but it has nothing to do. It's just like, he's just there as the champion. He is just this monstrous man who is a shooter. Like you said, former UFC fighter, MMA fighter who is just an ass kicking machine. And I love that. I love that it's just not yeah. anything crazy. There's nothing there. But again, like you said, with AEW, it is. It's it's uncomfortably white uh, in that company. And their top stars all seem to be white. And for a company that's, that claims to be as progressive, I agree. I think, that, I think that's going to be their Achilles heel in the long run if they don't figure out what is their way out of that situation, though. Like, what do you think would be the appropriate approach to that? I mean, they have the ingredients. And that's why, you know, the, the frustrating thing is that I know they're capable of promoting these talents. I know that it would help them, you know? I'm not a fan of diversity for the sake of diversity. It's always so transparent and obvious and really insulting and patronizing when you see people promote Black people. Oh, this is our um, resident Black person, everybody. Come on, cheer for him. He's connects with, with you. Uh, but AEW has people like that that do legitimately connect. You know, the Max Casters. Anytime he comes out there, you see him get the crowd going. You know, every week with his rhymes, people love it. He's been on TMZ, uh, so he does have that kind of cachet in terms of being able to peak a curiosity from a mainstream standpoint. You just got a very and it's really, you know, in wrestling, a lot of times with old, what's old is new again. You know, you just do something that worked in the past and it works once again. Um, but yeah, Max Caster, if you see in wrestling, what's old is new again. Uh, a lot of times wrestling will just take a gimmick. It's been done for so long that uh, you could take a gimmick from the past and repurpose it and it'll still get over. And we're seeing that with Max Caster and that he's doing a hip hop gimmick that when you saw John Cena do it, he was able to take that and make it a mainstream gimmick and become the top star in wrestling, the likes of which we haven't seen since Hulk Hogan. And Max Caster has that ability in that. 
excellent rapper. He's a very entertaining rapper. He could take this gimmick. And he is somebody who I feel like could move forward and become a mainstream star if given the chance. I think Red Velvet is also somebody who they're missing the belt on in that, um, you know, Red Velvet's got this great theme music. She's really good. But there are talents that they have that they could make better use of that I just don't think that they're doing right now. Yeah, I, th- I think, the like you said, the ingredients are there. I think the, the, the ability is there. I think they just need to figure out how to get out of their own way in order to do it. I think they're just, for me, and again, this maybe this this ties into the Jim Cornette conversation and that the portion of this that I really kind of wanted to talk about, it's this idea that, like, I talked to Harry Burkett um, from Pro Wrestling Illustrated. He was on the show, and we talked about uh, AEW. We were kind of talking about our thoughts, and it's like, you know, I'm really excited. I love the idea of competition, right? Because obviously, as we remember... The reason that the Monday Night Wars were so successful is because of the competition. I just feel like I should I should like AEW a little bit more than I do, right? Like, I feel like I'm being told that I need to like AEW, and I, it's not because I like it, right? Everyone's like, oh, you have to love this because it's so good. And it's like, well, is it? Are you just saying it's good because you you think it's good and I should believe it? Like, I don't I don't agree with that. I don't, I don't subscribe to that. What I've seen... I've been less than impressed. And that's not to say that I won't be impressed because, you know, maybe I'm trying to give it the benefit of the doubt with the pandemic era and things like that. But like, I just haven't been as impressed as I thought it would be. So for me, it's like, you know, the idea of this older generation of of people, like you said, who are too close to the product, maybe somebody like a Jim Cornette, which again, I don't, I can't say that I necessarily disagree with everything that the guy says about AEW or WWE because he brings up some very valid points. The same thing with Eric Bischoff. You know, Eric has constantly said the most important thing. It's great that you're bringing back Sting, right? It's great that you're bringing in Sting to the organization. It's great that you're bringing in Christian Cage. All of this is fantastic, but why do I care that they're there? What's keeping me there watching the program Again, in comparison, Bobby Lashley. I watched that. I am fully invested in the idea of him coming in and watching him kick the shit out of Goldberg. And that's not because I dislike Goldberg. Goldberg's a friend of my family. I just, I love the idea of watching him become this monster. Goldberg, whatever anybody wants to say, Goldberg will always be a draw. Was, is, always, will be a top-tier draw. But they're bringing him back right now so that he can make help make Lashley a star. And that's the point. So when Cornette says these things like, you know, uh, it's all this outlaw mud show bullshit, like how do you like, I guess the question is, how do you make these worlds work? You know, how do you bring and incorporate the young audience in with the old audience and make everybody happy? Is there a way to do that effectively? Yeah, that's an excellent question, and that is a question that AEW is going to have to keep answering. I do think that they are making efforts in that regard, and that you see Sting paired with Darby Allen, you see Christian Cage paired with the Jungle Boy, where they are taking these stars from the past and trying to give them the rub to the current generation. So AEW just has to make sure that they're doing right by their younger generation by ensuring that these big staggering names from the past aren't outshining the current generation and that they're continuing to make sure that a Darby Allen, that a Jungle Boy is front and center and that these kind of older guys do take a backseat. There needs to be a ceiling on uh, how many times these older guys can win, hold titles, be at the center of the promotion because, you know, as much as they're doing it right right now, there's always going to be that temptation, especially how nostalgic wrestling fans is. There always is going to be that temptation. Oh, man, maybe we can give Sting a run. Let's just put the title on Sting, see what happens. It would be a great pop. And that is a dangerous road to go down. I don't – look, I am a Sting mark, okay? I literally have a photograph, an 8x10 photo signed by Sting. My oldest son, James, and I went and met met Sting a couple months ago here in Pittsburgh. I I love Sting. I don't want to see Sting as the AEW champion. I didn't want to see Sting as the WWE champion. As much as – I mean, kind of, but like – What's the long-term storyline here? The same thing with Goldberg, right? Again, love Goldberg. I would never have anything negative to say about the guy. However, do I want to see Goldberg as the WWE champion? Not really. I get the idea, and I'm in the minority on this. I have to say, I, in a business standpoint, I understand why they did what they did with The Fiend. I know that's a very controversial stand, and I'm, I'm, I'm not, I promise I'm not biased on it, but they really boxed themselves, boxed themselves into a corner creatively with that character. There really was no way out of that without damaging the character. And I think that the Goldberg law or the Goldberg win was the only way they could have made that work. Right. So we can we can sort of chalk that up, even if you don't necessarily agree. Right. 
And I think that served its purpose. Now, Goldberg coming in to fight Bobby Lashley is going to serve its purpose. There's a lot of conversation about this idea that, you know, WWE mistreated its legends. And again, there is some truth to that as well. But for me, you know, seeing Sting doing the same, you know, he does the same uh, 10 minutes or five seconds of conversation before he's interrupted again. It's like, okay, well, this is what you're telling me is, is treating the legends with respect. So again, I agree with you completely. I don't necessarily want to see anybody from that era come back in that sense. But I hope that they will be able to turn that into something that is meaningful for some of this new talent. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it does, you know, as a guy has watched wrestling my whole life, it, it definitely feels good to see these guys from the past come in and get their pop and whatnot. But there just has to be control in how they're used and, and how effectively they're used on AEW television. Now, let's let's talk a little bit more about uh, Money in the Bank, because I know that was originally what we we're going to talk about uh, a couple weeks ago when we had originally planned. And I apologize again. I'm sure the conversation I would have with you from my car on the side of I-76 would have been fantastic. But I'm glad we're actually doing this now in person in the comfort of my own home. Uh, Big E winning. Uh, I missed out. Hey, you know what? It would have been fun. Next time we do this, Alfred, I promise I'm going to pull over somewhere in Harrisburg and I'll just have the phone sitting up on the fucking dashboard. It'll be great. It'll be like Please compelling do. radio. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Big E winning Money in the Bank was huge. That is a I mean, the first black man to win the Money in the Bank briefcase. Uh, so I guess the next question is, as a wrestling fan. Who do you think he should cash in on? Do you think it makes the more sense for him to cash in on Bobby Lashley or Roman Reigns? Absolutely, Bobby Lashley. I mean, I don't know if they backed into this or whatnot. I don't even know if this is part of the plan. If you talk to Big E, he thinks he wants to cash in on Roman Reigns. And I'm sure that would be great, too. The word on the street is that he's going to face The Rock or whatnot. And they're just going to keep him, like, as strong as possible. So I don't know if it would end well for Big E in terms of being a long-term champion by cashing in on Roman Reigns. Not only could he be a long-term champion by cashing in on Bobby Lashley, who's doing a great job and, you know, I think has been a great champion. But, you know, it, it eventually will become time to pass a torch to somebody for Bobby Lashley. Not only do I think that Big E could be a long-term champion on Raw, this ties into what's happening in the storyline with Bobby Lashley. Bobby Lashley's beating the hell out of Big E's friends. He squashed Kofi Kingston. He beat the hell out of Xavier Woods. And yes, he lost Xavier Woods. And hopefully he's due for another rematch against Xavier Woods. And I think the next time, if and when he faces Xavier Woods, maybe for the WWE title, because he lost a non-title match to the guy, I think Bobby Lashley's going to destroy Xavier Woods opening the door for Biggie to come in and say, I'm tired of you beating up my friends. Why don't you go by me? Why don't you pick on somebody your own size? And that is a simple but effective story to tell between Bobby Lashley and Biggie that I think is just waiting for it. I don't think they should wait too long with this money in the bank. It's right there for the taking. Absolutely. 100% agree. I, I Again, like Nikki A.S.H., I thought was the perfect timeline for them to go in and take that and build that character. But absolutely. I think if they wait any longer than maybe after Goldberg, like comes in, Goldberg comes in, squat, gets squashed by by Lashley. Xavier Wood comes out, you know, like they do the whole thing again. And it's like, really, it's a, it's a, it's kind of a finite window. Like, get it done. Make it happen. We're waiting too long for this already as it is. But yeah, I mean, the, the story writes itself. And I think for me, as a storyline guy, that's the most compelling thing for me. Simple, perfect, tie it up. You have the backstory. You can go back to it, anything else. I think it's fantastic. For me, there's no money in in him fighting Roman Reigns. Like, I mean, in the in the concept of the idea of the match would be fantastic, but I don't see how the payoff is going to be anything but Roman going over. I don't now. The other question is, now that you've mentioned that, because I ask this to pretty much everybody I talk to, who do you think is going to be the one to dethrone Roman Reigns? Let's say the eventual plan is for him and The Rock to face off at 38. Do you think that will be for the universal title? And if not, who do you think is going to be the one that dethrone Roman? Um, I have no idea, which is part of the problem here with this. This Roman Reigns storyline is good. I love Roman Reigns. I love what he's doing. And I love that they're kind of keeping him strong, but they haven't done a good job of building like a row of challengers of building a, a backlog of people who could legitimately challenge Roman Reigns. Like even if I was to ask you, okay, who on Smash? SmackDown. Who are all the people on SmackDown who you're looking at somebody right now like, oh man, give it a couple months, that guy's going to be ready for Roman. Give it a couple months, that guy's going to be ready. No, they heat somebody up like what they're doing with Finn Balor right now. They'll heat somebody up for a couple of weeks and Roman Reigns will just smash him and he's gone. Or they'll bring back a legend like they're doing with Edge, like they're doing with John Cena. And Roman Reigns will just smash them. So I have no idea how this is going to end. And I'm not saying that to kind of waffle. That's just the answer I'm giving based on the story they're telling. There's nobody who they have built up who's kind of up and coming right now who I think 
two, three, four months by now, even by WrestleMania 38, is going to have any chance against Roman Reigns. Um, and that's something that they very much need to address because I'm not even going to pretend and try to come up with somebody because there's literally nobody right now who I think is at that level. The only person that I can think of that would be believable at right now, and again, another controversial take, because that's what we do here on Foundation Radio is controversial takes, Drew McIntyre. Okay. Drew McIntyre. I think it, there's a backstory there from uh, Survivor Series. I think there is a legitimate chance. He's already an established star, right? Like he was WWE champion, already there at the mountaintop. What's next for him to do with that run? I don't want to see him go up against Bobby Lashley again. Quite frankly, I don't really want to see him in the title picture again. But what made Drew McIntyre so special to me pre-pandemic was the build. Going up in the Royal Rumble, winning and the backstory and all that stuff. I think there's a real story to tell between him and Roman Reigns. And I think, to me, he's the only person that I could think of that would be believable enough to knock Roman Reigns off the mountaintop, right? Like Edge, awesome story, right? Great story, coming back to recapture what he lost, uh, you know, the whole nine yards. He's not the guy, never was. Finn Balor, another great story. I want an opportunity at the belt. Kevin Owens, Cesaro, all these guys that they're volleying up to him. Not a single one of them is the guy. Drew could be the guy. What do you think about, about Drew McIntyre uh, in that role? What Drew McIntyre needs. He needs a win like that because I have been, I've missed words in the fact that I think they definitely dropped the ball with Drew McIntyre at the moment. He's pretty much a mid Carter right now. There's people who are prioritized above Drew McIntyre in this new WWE. This was supposed to be Drew McIntyre's WWE. They were peeking toward him going over at WrestleMania 36, which was supposed to have fans. He was going to be the guy in front of the crowds doing this, but he was a pandemic champion and somewhere along the line, he's now taken a backseat to the John Cena's, the Roman Reigns, the edges. He is right. He's feuding with Jinder Mahal. And with all due respect, Jinder Mahal, like Drew McIntyre right now does not seem like a top star and he needs something like that. And when it's time to dethrone Roman Reigns, I don't think it should be a Brock Lesnar or a, you know, a rock or anybody from the past. It needs to be a full-time star. And Drew McIntyre would need a win of that level because for them to say, this is your last chance, Drew McIntyre, to beat Bobby Lashley and you're the top good guy and you lose that match, that's irreparable damage. And you need something huge to repair that potentially irreparable damage. I grew up a Hulkamaniac. I never remember seeing Hulk in Steve Austin later in life, or even The Rock, where it's like, this is their last chance, Stone Cold or Hulk Hogan, and they lose. That's not how W promotes their top baby faces, and that's what they did to Drew McIntyre. So him beating Roman Reigns on the line back for Survivor Series would put him right back to where he was, that pre-pandemic era when he was kind of training to be the next John Cena. Yeah, absolutely. And that's I think that's maybe the reason why I'm so stuck on it. I'm like, no, I feel like this is maybe even what they're building to. You know, they're going to give him the Jinder Mahals. They're going to sort of pay that off a little bit. The brand split or the uh, the the draft will happen. He'll go over to SmackDown because let's be honest. I mean, Drew McIntyre is a, a certified star. I mean, he is like good, better and different. The guy's a star. And I think that's the story for me anyway. And I think that might build up to because, again, for me, as I'm thinking about us about this sort of like fourth dimensionally, right? The idea of Roman Reigns and and The Rock fighting at WrestleMania 38, it's fucking unbelievable, right? Like, it's a great story to tell, but does it need to involve the universal title? I don't think so. I don't think The Rock needs that. The name of The Rock alone is fine. I think the storyline of the, the head of the table is going to pay off in a huge way with the Usos. Maybe even hopefully Rikishi gets involved in that. I think there's a really crazy story. And I mean, again, the fan service, paying it back 20 years. You know, that's a really great story to tell. But I don't think it needs to involve the universal title. I think, like you said, what Drew needs to be the guy again is a huge win, a Brock Lesnar level win this time in front of the crowd. And what better person to do that then is with, you know, Roman Reigns. I think to me, that's the money story. I love that. But Adam. really, let's uh, thank you, Alfred. I appreciate that. But let's talk about you a little bit more before I start firing some rapid fire questions <laughs> at you. Tell me more about, uh, you know, pro wrestling bits. Tell me more about what you're doing with Forbes. Again, I love reading all of your pieces. I think they're very important and you bring a very important voice and narrative to this great industry that we love. And I love the fact that you are so willing to call people out on these things because I think that they are important, especially right now after the year that we had last year. I think it's really important that things are being focused in this level. And I just, I love what you do. So tell me a little bit more about what's coming down the pipeline for you. Yeah, sure. You know, and I, I you know, write a lot about Forbes. I, I cover a lot of these events like AEW is going to have a, they're going to have Nick Gage 
coming tonight. I'll be uh, covering that. I'll be doing more pro wrestling bits. I'm going to have a lot more coverage on the CM Punk, the Daniel Bryans and whatnot. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of stuff on Forbes. This has been one of the busiest months I've had uh, on Forbes, just between the business opening back up, fans coming back. There's so many storylines. Both these companies are now jockeying for positions. So we're hearing these stories about a CM Punk, Daniel Bryan. But on the WWE side, we're hearing stories about The Rock coming back, Braun Strowman possibly being re-signed. Uh, so these companies are clearly yeah. trying to get the buzz on their side. And it's very, very fascinating. So I've got all kinds of stuff up there on Forbes. It's just such a delight to write it for Forbes because there has to be a business slant in a lot of these articles in terms of kind of connecting with this audience. And Forbes audiences are a lot more casual. So it's not a lot of the internet wrestling type stuff, which I do, you know, there's a lot of dirt sheets and stuff like that that I follow. I don't want to bash them too much. I just think that there's a different perspective right, right. to cover wrestling. And the, what do we call it? The nickname for wrestling is the business. You know, at the end of the day, the dollars and cents, how much do you draw? What are your ratings doing? That is the stuff that has always interested me. And that's why I think I've really gravitated toward Forbes and been able to find an audience. And, you know, with Pro Wrestling Bits, it's very similar along that alley as I'm able to talk about things that are passionate to me that maybe wouldn't be necessarily good for a Forbes article, but it's more so of the business of uh, of feelings I have and in terms of am I the only person who's thinking this or or different storylines in wrestling that I feel like are, are important like the storylines beneath the storylines or uh, or the racial implications of storylines or there's a lot of different areas that I'm going to go uh, in terms of what I want to do with pro wrestling bits and a lot of these mini documentaries and I'm glad I'm able to kind of start connecting with this and I've been able to get a lot of great interviews with pro wrestling bits. And, and you know, when I started originally just getting into wrestling in general, I just felt I was listening to all kinds of podcasts and I still kind of, not as many as I used to, but I listen to every wrestling podcast, my opinion, and really the black voice is being ignored. I just, I would think of something and be like, am I the only person who's thinking this? Like, how come nobody else is bringing this up? And I'm really glad that I'm not just talking about black people. I'm talking about anybody who's able to connect to those things who think of things in a racial lens like you, you know, like, um, mm -hmm. things like that. So I've been able to meet great people like yourself and other, you know, the great other fans who really kind of think the way I think and, um, and are even able to talk about situations that we disagree with, but we're able to talk about it on a level that I don't think gets covered um, in some of the other publications. So I'm glad that I've been able to make inroads on that uh, area. Absolutely. And again, I think for me, it's, it's an important conversation. Like I said, I think it's, 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 it's long overdue. And I think as a, as a wrestling fan, again, it's, it's extremely hard to ignore the history and the things that they've done in the past. Right. I don't know if you're ever able to really, you're ever really ever going to be able to atone for those things, like in a, in a real meaningful way. Now it's time to look forward and fix it going forward. So for me, watching WWE do a lot of these things and, and kind of change the game. I think it's a great first step, yes. right? I think it's a really great first step and watching them continue. But absolutely, I think it's I think these are very again, like you said, it's important conversations. And when I when I'm I'm constantly look I grew up in an LGBT household. So in my mind, I'm always looking at things like, okay, well where's the representation? Right. Right? Where's the representation? How are we going to make this welcoming for everyone? And I think it's again, it's 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 doors that are finally starting to open. And I think that you're a really important voice in that. So I just want to say thank you for the work that I you do, uh, because I think it's I think it's important. And I again, I, I love it. You're at this is nasty on yes. Twitter, which I am. This is Goober. So we now connect together <laughs> there. Um, fantastic usernames. Um, this is us. Yes. Great. That should be our show. That should be our show, Alfred. I love it. There you go. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. Actually, well, we might have to check with Universal on that one. Let's check with Peacock and we'll come back to it. We'll circle yeah. back. Uh, so I, I always, anytime I have a guest on the show and we talk pro wrestling, I have a bunch of rapid fire questions I want to ask or to tie up the end of the day. So if you're ready, I'm going to throw these at you. Okay. I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. All right. So your all time favorite wrestling match. Oh, it's such a great question. I feel like it changes every five years. Um, I'm going to go, oh, gosh, my all-time favorite wrestling match. I know it's rapid <laughs> fire. You know what I'm going to say? John Cena versus CM Punk Money in the Bank. I'm just going to say it. I love John Cena versus CM Punk. Great. Yes. The way it made me feel, the build that they had, I, I, I never remember feeling that way throughout the match, you know? So John Cena, CM Punk Money in the Bank for, you know, for the next five years. <laughs> for now, yeah. Excellent choice. That was a fantastic choice. Your favorite WrestleMania? That would be WrestleMania 17. Um, you know, 
WrestleMania 17 is great. I, I would even say WrestleMania 31 uh, might even have the edge. I go back and forth with that. And, you know, I'm going to give WrestleMania 31 the edge because I was there. And it was just such a fantastic live atmosphere to be in. That was at the peak of the Roman Reigns hatred. So it, it was just such a great main event for Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar where, you know, people hated Roman Reigns. They love Brock. Brock Lesnar, but it was a great match. A very underrated great match all time in terms of WrestleMania. The Rock, Ronda Rousey thing. You had the Sting, the NWO. Uh, WrestleMania 31 for me is the greatest WrestleMania of all time. You're the worst match of all time. Worst match of all time. A wrestling match in any wrestling? Uh, Anything. Yep. Any any era. Yep. Jenna, Maraska, and Charmel. I mean, that... <laughs> I it, I went back and Charmel can actually wrestle, but it, it's just in terms of a wrestling match. I actually recently went back and saw it because it's always referenced as one of the worst matches. And I looked at it to think like, was it really that bad? Like it's not, was it really that bad? So I went back looking at it with an optimistic mind and I'm just like, oh my God, this you can't even call this wrestling. So those poor women just, it just didn't work. It, it's, it's the worst match I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> It's it's Hogan Warrior two level bad like it's 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 terrible yes. yeah the it's I mean and that is oh my god that match I, if I never had to see that match again in my entire life I'd be happy the absolute worst gimmick that oh god I actually so on the show at a cup in the, in the archive which can be found at foundationradio.net um the who I call he's my best friend uh, he's the executive voice of the show he does our intro and our outro uh, Sam Kreps he's not a wrestling guy. And I showed him a couple of like what would be considered the worst matches of all time. And we started at Hogan Warrior 2. <laughs> and the whole time he's just like, I can't believe like what I'm watching. This is just this is horrifically yeah. bad. And I'm like, yeah, welcome to my life, dude. I had to live with this knowledge in my head that I watched this live, you know, <laughs> and we missed DDP and, and, Goldberg. and Goldberg. So, you know, it's fine. Everything's fine. We're all fine here. Uh, the, <laughs> the absolute worst gimmick of all time. Worst gimmick of all time. Bastion Booger was pretty bad. Oh, oh Bastion Booker was really yeah, bad, dude. Yeah, that was I remember as a kid a watching that like this. I don't know about this man. I almost quit watching wrestling <laughs> because of it. Uh, Bastion Booker was very, very bad. Just in terms of what. Yeah, I don't. I don't know why they would. I I feel like that was almost like a punishment. You know, it's like it's like Perry Saturn with the mop level yeah. punishment. I feel like that was that same level. But uh, your favorite wrestling angle. My favorite wrestling angle. Um, I mean, I will go back to, to the CM Punk John Cena angle. It is one of the same because the reason it's my favorite match is because of the story that they told. And I loved how they fused right. reality, especially we were talking about earlier how it's hard to trick people in these days in the Twitter era. And you're absolutely right. It's damn near impossible. But they did. They did. And as somebody who yeah. covered wrestling and, you know, and was as connected in terms of what's real and what's not. When Team Punk cut that promo, I thought, okay, okay, I know it's fake, but like there might be something. Oh right, you know, that pipe yeah. bomb promo, man! Holy shit! Yeah, I still, it still holds up to yes. this day. It's, it's unbelievable, unbelievable. Uh, Kofi Mania, they did a good job with that too, just because of, you know that was an incredible in terms of the chase he had, in terms of them addressing, you know, without actually directly saying it, but the people like me don't get to thrive. I think the Kofi Mania storyline was right. very special, near and dear to my heart too. Yeah, absolutely. I, I I can tell you personally, I'm watching it. I, I cried in my bed watching the movie or watching the match, just watching him win. And, and it was I mean, it was it was we make movies here, pal. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, you know, uh, it, no, I mean, it was it was an incredible story. It was an incredible payoff. I think Daniel Bryan was the right person for that, uh, you know, be to be that opponent. Um, and I think, again, I think Biggie is due for that moment as well. And I think they're going to make that yeah. happen for sure. Pretty soon. Um, the biggest missed opportunity in pro wrestling. Wow. That, I mean, there's a lot that you can go down that road. Uh, the biggest miss. Okay. I'll say, first of all, Kofi Kingston the first time around, because I don't think just because they, mm -hmm. they pulled the trigger on him eventually, I think in 2009, he was hot, hot, like go back and watch some of these reactions he's getting. He, they put him over in Madison square garden. It was time for him to be the guy at that point. I think that was a huge, I still think about like, man, if they would have just, whatever happened with Randy Orton, I don't know what happened, but if they had just pulled the trigger with that guy in 2009, we might be having a completely different conversation about wrestling. So that was a big a missed opportunity. I think a guy like Alex Riley, I think was a big, I think they were doing everything right in terms of what that crowd wanted at the time. I think they were doing everything right with Alex Riley. And even when he did kind of improve um, and went to NXT and got better, I think they missed a vote on him, but there's a lot of NXT people who I think they missed a vote on. Um, uh, in, in which I, I think was very sad. I guess, and, and as a side note, I know this is rapid fire time, but Keith Lee, how are you feeling about the Keith Lee reintroduction right now? Oh, yeah, you talk about a massive miss. You know, 
uh, we're at that point where we could say that, you know, it's time to throw in the towel. This isn't this opportunity. I'm still kind of holding out hope because of how talented he is, but I think every single step of the way the Keith Lee experiment has failed. And it, it's been, it seemed yes. like sabotage in some parts. I don't think it's all Keith Lee's fault. I think it's just how WWE sees him from the rollout of Keith Lee to this terrible new theme music, this terrible new gear. They had to go back and change his gear. And then they brought him back now this time and they have him lose over and over again. This just, it's almost like they're saying, okay, what do we need to do to get this guy over? Okay, let's not do that. that that's what it seems like with Keith Lee. Yeah, you know, I'm not really sure. I don't know why they would have him lose to Karrion Cross. I Again, I think to me, the idea of having him come and challenge Bobby Lashley and losing to Bobby Lashley, to me in storyline, makes sense, right? Like we said, trying to build Lashley as that nasty, vicious, ass-kicking champion, right? So in a certain context, I get it, because then you can then build on that story later on down the road, give him another title shot where maybe he wins, right? Karrion Cross, though... Is this really what we want to do? Is this how we're going to introduce this guy? It feels almost like you're right. Like they're just stomping him and putting him out before they even get him off the ground. So I I am I am holding out hope for Keith Lee at this point. But again, like you said, I just I feel like it's it's we're about this close. We're another loss uh, before they throw in the towel. Yes. Uh, Randy Orton or Kenny Omega. Oh, that question. <laughs> That's very Yeah, I had to ask. I threw it in there on purpose. I'm going Kenny Omega. Uh, as much as I love Randy Orton, and I think he's great. He's an all-time great. He's one of these people who I don't think gets the recognition he deserves for being an all-time great wrestler. I think people who say that he's boring just don't get it. And he's not for you if you think he's booked. This guy's a tremendous professional wrestler. And just not just the wrestling. I mean, the character. He's, uh, he's a presence. There's a lot about Randy Orton to love. But Kenny Omega, I mean, I, you know that. You know how I say every five years? I think five, a couple of years ago, my favorite match of Omega and Okada 4. It was just a tremendous uh, professional wrestling match in terms of the story that they built two in the match that they had and I just think Kenny Omega in the ring is great to watch and he's finally starting to come together with a character that is kind of like that Ric Flair-esque character where he finally has that persona to go along with his great wrestling which I think was missing for a lot of his career but I think he's coming along in AEW now a WWE AEW crossover does it happen it's interesting the way I think it could happen is NBC Universal and Warner Media maybe come together with a merge and then it just becomes a free-for-all. And now this conglomerate owns AEW and WWE, uh, especially if Vince McMahon is out of the wrestling business. You know, he's probably going to live forever. Okay, let's But assuming he doesn't live forever. Yeah, 196 yeah. years old, right? Got, We're, yeah, working out in the gym still. <laughs> Genetic yeah. jackhammer. He's got great jeans, pal. God. <laughs> God damn it, Bruce. Yeah, so, so if Vince McMahon, assuming he doesn't live forever, if, if he's out of the picture uh, and wrestling becomes this corporate entity that's owned by this merger, th none of that pro wrestling politics of this, it's like, no, 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 Kenny Omega, you're wrestling Roman Reigns next week. I don't care what you say. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I, I do see it happening, but only under those circumstances, not as long as wrestling is the way it's right now. Uh, WCW, pre-Russo, NWO height, or ECW? So WCW pre-Russo, you're saying, or ECW? Uh, yeah. Yeah, which one do you prefer? Uh, WCW pre-Russo, for sure. Especially when yeah. WCW at its hottest, when Hulk Hogan turned heel to this day. I mean, yeah. we just saw that GCW, people throwing stuff into the crowd, and that was a pretty ugly scene. That's nothing compared to yeah. the vitriol of Hulk Hogan. If I was in the crowd at the time, I would have thrown stuff into the ring. And I, I'm not pro inclined to do violence like that. When I'm watching that, uh, right. it, still, I still watch that footage of Hulk Hogan. And the little kid in me is like, yeah, throw that stuff at Hulk Hogan. Screw you, Hulk Hogan. You betrayed me. <laughs> so, And it got hot. And I, and I love heel Hulk Hogan. Hollywood Hulk Hogan is one of my favorite characters of yeah. all time. Uh, so... Absolutely. Yeah. Un unquestionably one of the greatest heels that's ever been in the business. Like just and again, like watching that footage back that obviously the network cut it out. But, you know, watching that guy run in the ring like I would never condone anyone attacking any wrestler, whether it's WWE or AEW or anybody else. Stay the fuck out of the ring and let the yes. professionals do it. But like that was some serious nuclear heat dropping that leg on Savage, man. And I just again, the idea that people are saying that CM Punk and Daniel Bryan will be the new outsiders. And that is a reach that should be reserved for grabbing somebody off a cliff or your telephone is ringing at 1130 at night and you're on the other side of the bed. Those kinds of reaches are appropriate. That is an, like just a way, way too far reach for me, man. It's just it's it's just not going to happen. Yeah, for me. I'm sorry. Uh, and I love I love both of them, but it's just it's not the same. Uh, NWO or D-Generation X? Mm. D-Generation X. I, I did enjoy D-Generation X more. NWO at its peak was, I think, better. And D-Generation X definitely kind of ripped off what NWO did. But it was presented, I think, better over the long haul. And Shawn Michaels is my favorite wrestler of 
all time. I'm always going to be biased toward him. And I just love the generation. The Generation X, you know, NWO was cool. The Generation X was cool and funny. Very, very funny in terms of what they right. were doing. You know, you know, the blackface wasn't my favorite thing, and uh, uh, you know, obviously, but but even at the yeah. time, the 90s were such a crazy time that I was not even thinking of it with a racial lens. Like now, knowing what I know about blackface, it's hard to watch, right? As an adult. But you know, a lot of the stuff that the Generation X did was, was very funny and very edgy, and I thought was very important to WWE turning things around. Well, yeah, I mean, again, it's like it's 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 context for me. I think I was maybe like 13 when yeah. that happened. And for me, the first thought from in my head is, oh, Jesus Christ, they're lampooning the nation yeah. of domination. I'm not thinking, holy shit, they're doing blackface on national television like that wasn't my first thought going back and looking at it now in a 2019, 2020, 2021 lens definitely shouldn't have been done like it you know and again even the performer said so but yeah i mean that like dx for me was just like it was on another level so uh but nwo obviously will always be cool final question the big one sting and the undertaker finally face off who goes over and you know it depends on where but i i just think the undertaker because i would picture that being a wrestlemania i still uh, don't like the fact that the undertaker lost at wrestlemania to brock lesnar but in a feud like that, I think The Undertaker goes over. Um, you know, either or, there are two people who I just love and seeing The Undertaker, but I think The Undertaker would go over in that match, and I think that'd be the right choice. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Alfred Kanawa, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm so glad we finally got to do this. Uh, I would love to have you back on yeah. soon. Uh, actually, you know what? What we'll do is we'll wait till Biggie cashes in his Money in the Bank briefcase, and we'll reconvene, and we'll have a conversation there. We'll also work on our new show name, because obviously I don't want to get any like cease and desist letters or anything we'll like that. We'll change the spelling. We'll, we'll say us it... UZ or something like that. We'll, we'll do it. There you go. That's smart. Yeah, because then it's not necessarily a yeah. trademark. In front. Yeah, I like where your brain's at, sir. <laughs> Thank you so much for stopping by the show, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, Adam. It's a pleasure. Foundation Radio is hosted, recorded, and executive produced by Adam Barnard. The show is also produced by Sam Kreps. Special thanks to Greg Mead, Joe Keen, Jeff Quinn, and Dr. Ruth Almy. Our intro and outro music is produced by Dumb Ugly. Find this episode and our full archive at foundationradio.net. Follow us on Instagram at foundation underscore radio. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your favorite podcasts. This has been a Foundation Radio production. Butts Carlton, proprietor. Proprietor.